I'm reading from the book of Genesis chapter 50, the closing of the first book. The significance of the closing of the first book of the scripture wherein the Torah or Pentateuch would be um, designed in such a way it has been dissected and diagrammed for multiple thousands of years and we'll start with verse 15 and Genesis 50 when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead they said Joseph will preadventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. They sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, the father did command before he died saying, now we don't know that the messenger or what was sent was actually true. We do know that they were negotiating for their own lives. This could have been a made up message but they were negotiating for their lives because they were fearful that he would requite or have retribution. Thy father did command before he died saying, so shall you say unto Joseph, forgive I pray thee now the trespasses of thy brethren and their sin for they did unto thee evil and now we pray thee forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. Joseph wept when they spake unto him. It was a reawakening. Just the message revived the previous moment of his turbulent life. And his brother, brethren also went down and fell before his face. They said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said to them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, to bring to pass. Everyone say, to bring to pass. As it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore, don't fear. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your children, your families, and your homes. And he comforted them. He spake kindly. What God began. Amen. And all the people said amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that um, you like them most of all. You're my favorite. Try to, try to say truthful. You're my f- all-time favorite. And when you are seated, put your Bibles on your laps. And with your voice, come on with your voice, shout unto God a great praise to God. Just say it. Hallelujah, Jesus, we worship you.
Amen. A letter was once written to an individual, and I quote, the girl of my dreams. It was a simple note. Maybe four lines and all. The young man who wrote it spoke of her eyes and her smile. In any other time, a a little love letter would not make much of a ripple. But the location and the time in which it was pinned caused it to last to this very day. You see, it was written by a young soldier hiding in a bunker in World War I. Though the weather was cold and wet, he cradled his pin and his mud-caked feet cowering down into this bunker dug out by his own hands. The air was said to be thick and the fog of smoke pouring over the embankments. He wrote a small note. We're not given the details of anything else, just the location and the time. Paul is locked in a prison house in Rome when he wrote the letter to the saints at Philippi. The book was once called the joy letter because the church in that Macedonian city had been such a great encouragement to Paul in times past. It wasn't just the skill of his penmanship, though I'm certain of it, or the depth of the spiritual understanding that sets it apart, but the location in which Paul found such joy marks its uniqueness. He wrote a joyful letter in prison. I wish it wasn't always this way. Those constraints. But oft times our true character comes out when life is very difficult. I'm talking to you right now. And prison in the ancient time offered no convenience. There were no reading materials or entertainment offered. Darkness was a common feature. Hunger and thirst was a consistent companion. Some of the disciples were said to be examined by the whip, the scourge. We're going to question you. They beat them in between the query. The location of such joy or dreams or memories of love lifts the same words to a higher significance, much higher level because of where they are pinned. Not just the words, but when they are given. And I hope that in all of these years, the plight of Joseph has not been presented as a journey full of victories because Joseph did not enjoy such pleasure. From the moment of his capture until the day he was reunited with his father, Joseph's life was anything but Convenient or pleasant. But that is not how it began. It began with God giving the dream. 
Joseph had two dreams. In fact, the first featured bundles of grain. Eleven in all. He saw eleven bundles of grain bowing down to his bundle of grain. Meaning that his eleven brothers were bowing down to him. The second dream was that the sun, the moon, eleven stars were bowing down to him. And it, it, it wasn't enough that he dreamed them, but then he told them. On the heels of his doting father Jacob, God gave Joseph dreams. You mix in favoritism and then the obvious affection Jacob had for Rachel and the coat of many colors given to her firstborn son. And you have a recipe for intense jealousy among the brethren. And just for the record, Jacob might have overdone it with the coat. And Joseph, of course, was responsible for what he had said. But it was God who gave Joseph the dreams. And those 11 brothers found no comfort in being a bundle of grain bowing down to the younger brother. They despised him for it. And they certainly did not see themselves as stars bowing down to Joseph. Even Jacob gave a rebuke. He said, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? We're going to bow. But God started it. God initiated the dream. Joseph did not make up those scenes all by himself. It was the Lord who implanted those images in his mind. A sheaf or a sheaves of grain, a bundle rising up and then standing upright. That came from God. Genesis 37 says that his brothers hated him the more. And after that, God gave Joseph another dream. But this time it included everyone in the family, all the brothers and his mother and his father. And his brothers were filled with rage. The Bible says they envied him. Maybe if Joseph had made it up or conjured those thoughts in his own mind, we could have issued the blame on him alone. Or if he had desired some attention, if he was attention seeker, if he lied about those thoughts, we might have dismissed the consequences which would befall him, even though they were egregious. But to be certain, Joseph's dreams were given by God. God began it in him. God started it. God put those vivid technicolor images in the mind of a young boy and it was nothing less than the divine prophecy that would come to pass, initiated by the Lord of hosts. But we know that at least 22 years in between the dream and the fulfillment would come and therein lies the trouble. Joseph's only mistake was to tell what God had shown him. Not everybody can handle what God shows you. His mistake was rooted in immaturity and maybe some pride But the way he handled it, howbeit wrong, did not remove the fact that the omniscient creator of heaven and earth gave it to him. He gave it to Joseph. God began the journey. And Joseph was excited about it. Because that's what happens to all of us when God puts something in our heart. When God puts something in your heart, you are excited. I am excited. God sends a word through a prophet or God speaks through a pastor or some other means. And we too have a dream and a vision and we are excited about it. We want to tell someone about it. But upon Joseph's telling and with the opportunity to do harm. The opportunity to do harm. His brothers caught him and stripped him of his coat and cast him into a pit. Jealousy is always waiting for opportunity to do harm. It never stays idle. It never is covert. And again, we are not privy to the pleas, the begging that Joseph made to his brothers, his voice, whether full or frustrated, 
whether of fear or doubt or anguish or anxiety, it's not found in the scripture. He's alone. He's abandoned. They are contemplating killing him away with him. They have contempt for this favored son. His dreams are more than sufficient enough to produce revenge and jealousy. But the scripture gives Joseph no sound, tears probably, a cry for help, I am certain, a plea bargain, never to tell anyone another dream. We cannot tell, but the nature of fear and doubt coupled with the anxiety of a pit would bring anyone to the emotional state to at least call and cry for mercy. Please don't do this to me. But the brothers hold no mercy. Their hearts are full of jealousy and rage. Their hands have no compassion in them. They are hardened and they are indifferent. We read these passages without the real trauma that they entail. They are more than just words on a page, ladies and gentlemen. They are real life with fear and blood and the sting of death. Our very lives, whatever we come to, are found in this book right here. These things happen unto them to give us examples. This book filled with people just like us who struggle with the spiritual promises and then war in the carnal flesh. They suffered violence, the Bible says, but they overcame them. They were destitute and oft hungry, but they found their footing in Jesus Christ, the righteous. Men and women, the Bible says, they were abused and abandoned and left alone and betrayed and misused and misguided. Some fell into their own self-made trap, entangling themselves in a web designed by their own pride. Some succumbed to sickness and disease. Yes, hedges were removed. And then they lived through God-ordained trials. No one has been left out. There is nothing new under the sun. And we are not unique. These are all called. But there's also temptation and issues and problems that challenge our faith and their faith. So wherever you sit today and whoever hears the word today, just know your life has already been found in the scripture. And your trouble and your trial and your heartache was already written down in the Bible. That's why the Bible gives us assurance. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. It means that whatever we have gone through, someone is in the stands rooting for you and saying, I've been there. I've done that. I'll overcome that. You can make it. I know you can get up. I know you won't die. I know you can rise again. No one has been left out. He's not going to leave you helpless, ladies and gentlemen. I know I'm talking to somebody because the Lord spoke to me earlier this morning. He's not leaving you helpless. He's going to provide a way for you. You're You're not done. You're not through because the Lord's not done. God began that. God started that. The Lord initiated that. He put that in your heart. He put that in your mind. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful. Come on, someone say it. God is faithful. He's not going to suffer for you to be tempted above your able. You're going to go through it. But with every temptation, here's what he's going to do. He's going to make a way of escape. He's going to make a trap door for you. There's always a side door. He's going to bring you out of it. He's not going to put you in it when there's no way out, but he's going to make a way out of it. You may not be able to see him, but he's never lost sight of you. There are times when I couldn't feel the Lord, but, but he always was moved and felt me. There was times that I called on him and I heard no sound. 
But that doesn't mean he didn't hear me. He's always heard you. He's always been watching you. He's always been looking at you. He's always been making a way for you. And when he, when you get into a place where you don't know how to get out, he's purposely made a way for you to get out. He'll never leave you nor abandon you. He's been on your side before you even needed, no knew you needed him. Even still, even still, even knowing there's hope. I, the human experience details bewilderment. It's inherent. It's now and forever, for young and for old. And the beginning is always the same. And so much promise. The start has lofty dreams, great potential. It's at the beginning, you know. More pictures are taken at the beginning. I think we have more pictures of Roman as a baby than anyone. By the time we got to Nico, they looked so much alike. We just wrote on the back of the picture, Nico and Roman. Who could tell? At the, at the start of it, it's just... Great joy. But it's the middle that confounds us. Where is God when we need him? And what happened to the gift of the father? And for Joseph, the questions could surely mount. What began as a divine dream was buried in the prison of earth. His brothers would have killed him. Instead, they chose what they thought was noble. Their form of leniency was to sell him into a a band of slave traders to which they had no connection, once sold, the brothers had no way to know. There was no receipt, no predictability as to where he would end up. Joseph was just gone. He was almost out of sight, out of mind, except for their soon-to-be grieving father. But for Joseph, there was the chain and the whip and the rope. And for Joseph, there was uncertainty and separation. And ladies and gentlemen, there is almost no suffering like that of separation. The reader, and I've been there, can be lost in Joseph's rise to prominence in Potiphar's house. But we do not know how long it took him to make that leap, nor do we know how long he sat atop the servant's heap. But regardless of the time, Joseph was still far from his dream and far from his father's house. The pain of rejection cut deep. We find it out at the end. The treatment by his own family and the evil they sought for him did not go away. Joseph will come to say, you meant it for evil. Yes, and there it is. Yes, and there it is. God put Joseph on the path, but the process is where many are lost. God began that thing. But the beginning is often lost. By the middle. And the first day and the second day are completely different. God called Paul to be an apostle. But the power and the anointing that God gave him also came with prison time, stoning, and a host of troubles. God called Moses, but the wilderness lay in his future. People, the same people that he led out of bondage and did good to. And good for. 
and gave his life for. They would contemplate killing him and many would often complain against him. He led a group of people who were in constant complaint. God called David. God began the work in David's life through tangible oil of anointing, but there was a cave at Adullam waiting for him down the line. It was a literal cave, but it also represented the threat of his life and the time of his existence. And we love the call and we love the relish and we love the dream, but it's in the middle that things are lost. Courage is challenged in the middle and your faith, whatever you, you have, your faith is going to go on trial. And I'm already far from the normal common prosperity preacher that graces our country today. It's an affliction because preachers are telling you a lie. You will have trouble. Let me tell you the truth. You're going to have heartache and tribulation and trouble. You will feel disappointment and separation and rejection. And your faith is going to be on trial. And there's going to be witnesses against your faith. And a prosecution against your faith. Here's 1 Peter 1.7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise. Your faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Here's another version. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes. It may be proven genuine. It may result in praise and glory and honor. Your faith is going to go on trial there was ever a day when our faith is going to stand trial today is the day because we're pressed on every side we're pressed on every side there's no place you're going to go to find comfort in this world the spirit of the age has risen up and we are pressed on every side you're going to have to purposely and constantly remember the dream and the call and the initiation of God I just want to remind you God began that in you the Lord began that in you all those things God did that he put that in your life and there is a call Go back in your scripture, you'll hear the, you'll hear that, that little boy getting up and going into Eli and saying, Eli, did you call me? Samuel, Samuel, there is the call. It was the voice of the Lord. No, go back to bed, young Samuel. That was the Lord. And when the Lord calls you, say, here am I. Thy servant heareth you. And along with the Lord's audible voice, Samuel was given wisdom and insight and revelation and authority. But when Eli died, are you ready? When he died and Samuel took over, the ark of the covenant was stolen. Which means for the duration of Samuel's ministry, he never made a sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant. Samuel served the Lord in the tabernacle at Shiloh without the Ark of the Covenant for the duration of his ministry. He was a high priest without the object of his appointment. He began with a midnight call, a young child hearing the sound of the ancient of days. But the decades of serving was done with pure faith and pure obedience. And I'm standing here today with full proof that the early moments are wonderful. They feature images and sounds and confirmations alike. And then comes rebuttal and separation and doubt, dry times and sometimes silence. Take your pick. God began it, however, and it begins with a bang every time. And then you are commissioned just to trust what he gave you is worth your struggle. You gotta trust that whatever God gave you at the beginning is worth the struggle and the trouble that you're in right now. 
No. No. No, because that's not always pleasant. Because instead of trusting God, we question. And, and instead of just rejoicing in the Lord our Savior, we, we, we're questioning, well, where is God now? He gave it to me. Where is he now? I want to tell you, he's the same God that gave it to you. He's the same God in your trouble. You may not see him, but he's there. He's there. Hear the word of the Lord. He's there. You're going to need this tomorrow. I hope you don't forget what I'm telling you. You're going to need it tomorrow. Don't wipe it away and just say, well, that was a nice thing. No, it's not a nice thing. It's for your life. You're going to need it tomorrow. Write it down on your hand. You ever seen people write notes on their hands and then they scrub it off and wash their hands and forgot what they wrote and they're trying to decipher? Write it down on your heart. Write it down your Bible. God's in the middle of my trouble. He's the same God that started me out. He's the same God in the middle of it. God began it, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to keep his hand on it. He's going to keep his hand on it. He brought you this far. He'll bring you the rest of the way. He called you. He's going to bring you the rest of the way. I rebuke all the spiritual warfare right now. I take dominion over every thought that rises against the provisions and the voice of God. That's a lie. The Lord is true. I take authority over every human spirit. If I can do that, I don't know. But I'm just going to say it out of my mouth. Of every human spirit and every demonic thing that rises and goes through some human voice. That would dissuade you that you're over. That you're not going to make it. That you've done something wrong. And, and, and God's punishing you. That there's some judgment. That's a lie from the pit of hell. People can be used of the devil. That's a lie. God began that work. He's going to carry you through. Wait a second. What you don't know is that he put you there. He gave you the dream. And then he allowed you to go through trouble. And at the end, for the saving of your family. Because if Joseph had never been sold off into slavery. And if he never had been scourged and put in the whip and the chain and the prison. He would have never risen to the house of Pharaoh. And he would not be in charge. But to the saving of his family, God began it and led him through the trouble. This is what I know. I know that I can preach this to you and I know I can deliver the word to you but tomorrow the enemy is going to come and he's going to attack the very faith that you have right now. Your faith is going to stand trial but today we're going to rise up and say I know there may be some trouble in the future but God began this. I want to think through this with you because I'm emotional. Ooh, I feel a fire burning to me. I'd like to just pause and speak in tongues for a moment, but I, I, I need to relay something that you can understand. Thank you, Lord. 
in your midnight trouble, pick up your pen and write a love letter. It's going to be easy to write a love letter to the Lord. Say thank you Lord. When everything is going well. But something the same words. In a different location. Make them so much more meaningful. When you're in the pit. And the air is cold. And the place is lonely. You ought to get out your pen. And you ought to write a little note in your Bible. And say the Lord is good. And his mercy endureth forever. And I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer by the word of my testimony. And the blood of the Lamb of God. Hey. 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 I've watched a thousand people shout when they were healed. I've watched a thousand people shout when they got a new job. I've watched a thousand people smile and clap their hands when everything was good. I'm not looking for you. I'm thankful for you, but I'm not looking for you. I'm looking for a thousand people. I'm looking for one that would shout when they got the wrong report and when they got the wrong sickness and when they lost their job and things did not go right. I'm looking today for somebody who's in the middle. God did it. You're in the middle. Come on, is there anybody in the middle that would like to say, I've got some mud on my feet. I've got some chill in my bones. But I know the Lord is on my side. your belly cry out oh you are good somebody say you're good Lord I know you're waiting for it to get good, but you don't have to wait for it to get good because he is good. And as long as he is good, it doesn't matter where I'm at because he's the same good God yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same faithful savior when I was called and in the middle He loves your praise wherever you're going to offer it to him. He loves your praise whenever you're going to give it to him. He loves your faithfulness no matter where you're at. But if you feel like you need to wait until things get a little bit better, you're waiting for the wrong thing. There were saints in Nero's household. And we're far from that. So we're without excuse. You see, this Bible is filled with all kinds of people. They've been through all of that mess that you're going through. And they're standing by and saying, listen, we were giving God praise when we were hungry and famine and destitute and naked. And we were stoned and we were left. We were sawn and our children were taken and we were beaten and we were kicked out. But we were still giving God praise. You can make it because God's going to bring you through it. That brings me back to the location of Paul's letter 
to the saints at Philippi. His prison letter of joy. He's bragging on them. The church at Philippi. They don't know what's going to happen, but they're going to have some trouble in their future. History will tell us so. But they're doing well and life is good for the Philippians. But Paul is writing from his place of imprisonment, a jailhouse in Rome. And he's going to offer to them and to us a most crucial message. I know it's going well. I'm so glad you have joy in serving. But I need to tell you something, church in Philippi, from the onset. That the middle is going to come. Day two and three and four, they'll make their way into your lives. Trials will be there. Unforeseen issues are laid in the path of every kingdom call. Paul said, however, but I'm confident. Let me read it to you. Being confident of this very thing. (laughs) That he which begun a good work in you. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. it he's not just the author of your faith he's the finisher looking unto Jesus the author somebody say it and the finisher you got to know he's going to finish what he began he's not just the alpha but he is the omega he's not just the beginning but he is the ending he's the one who began it and he's going to be the one who ends it He didn't just call you out. He's going to bring you all the way in. He didn't just start you. He's going to complete you. So if you can hear the word of the Lord today, hear the word of the Lord. God is faithful to finish everything that he began in your life. So wherever you are right now, just know he's not done with you yet. He's not finished with you yet. Dark may be the night, but he's not done with you. Trouble may be on every, but he is not through with you. He that began... Not me. I didn't have that dream. I didn't create that thing. I didn't have that vision. I didn't have that call, that thought. I didn't have that mind. That didn't come. Those images didn't come to me just randomly. God put them in me. God put them in you. God implanted that by sight or revelation or dream or whatever. God did that. He, he started that. Not the Lord started that. He might allow you to go through trouble, but he will complete everything that he began. Because what God begins, he always finishes. Time has escaped us, Tammy. I... I I know we've heard this and I can't remember, but a mama told us about it, that the Lord had given them a vision or a thought that the Lord was going to save one of their children. I can't remember now who it was. It may have been many times, but, but if the Lord gave that to you, then he'll, he'll complete that. 
And you might say, well, how could that be? They're so far from God. Hey, man, so was the prodigal. He was far. But the Lord can allow them to get into a pit. And in the pit, they might just write a new love letter. Man, I can remember... Oh, how good my father's house was. I don't always pray for blessing. Sometimes I pray for trouble. And not because I want trouble to come your way, but just so you can have a revelation. It was better at daddy's house. I got to get back to, I got, listen, God can bring them full circle. And we know it. We know it. He's, he's young. He's 17. Yes. He sold at 17. He rises to prominence when he's 30 and gets the signet ring of Pharaoh, the king. And now he has seven good years of bounty and harvest. That's 20 years. But two years into the time of famine, the Bible says... The famine was so great, they couldn't even remember the days of plenty. It wiped out their memory. Because a famine like that will make you forget that you ever had food. (laughs) You won't ever remember the taste of the grain or the bread. And two years, that's 22 years. Jacob says to his sons, Go down to Egypt and bring some money and see if you can buy a little bit of food because we're starving. And they walked in, the whole known world coming to the threshold of Pharaoh's door. But there they are, the brothers, and Joseph sees them. From the moment they threw him into the pit and took his coat, dipped it in the blood of a goat to that very day, at least 22 years long. And the fulfillment was not even done then. Because even after all that, through what could only be divine revelation, Joseph knew this was not the end of it. As good as it came to be in Joseph's lifetime, Egypt itself was not the promise that God had given. Let me read it to you. Verse 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He and his father's house, he lived 110 years old. He saw his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, the children also of Makar, the son of Manasseh. They brought the great-grandchildren and put them on his knees. Verse 24, and Joseph said to his brethren, I die and God will surely visit you. This is not it, gentlemen. This is not over. God's going to bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because even where you are right now, as good as it is right now, we have all the food we need. This is not the place that God has promised us. You're in Egypt eating good food. You're going to go through the trouble. And he took an oath of the children of Israel saying, this was the children of Israel. He took an oath to, for all the great grandchildren. God will surely visit you. And here's what I want you to do. Don't leave me here. But pick up my bones and get them out of this place. When you guys escape, I want to go too. 
Because the Lord's not finished yet. And on the day those people got out of there and Moses said we're out. The tenth plague had come and they're leaving. Let me read it to you. And verse 19 of Exodus 13. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had straightly sworn to the children of Israel saying God will surely visit you. And he's going to carry you up. So bring my bones with you because it's not over yet. So I got to tell you that when you have the beginning and the middle and the ending, it's not going to be done until the great trumpet sounds and you are raptured out of this place and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. So when your loved one passes away of an incurable disease, just know this. That's not the end of them. And the next funeral we have are the funerals that may take place. Take confidence, ladies and gentlemen. They're just going to a place of rest. And there will be a great awakening. It's going to be the church triumphant. It's been through the flood and it's been through the fire. But one of these days the church is going to move a little higher. This is not the end of where we're meant to be. This is not the conclusion. God began something to you when he baptized you with the Holy Ghost and out of your mouth you began to speak in that heavenly language. That was just the beginning. There's a gate. It's made out of a single pearl. And you're going to walk through it. So don't get distraught in this life when you're in the middle and you think that everything is against you and your life is over and you have no hope. You have a greater hope than you can ever imagine. In fact, you can't imagine it. I just want you to know God began that. He's going to finish it. He began a good work in you. He's going to complete it. It's going to, it's going to have full completion in your life. He's coming through for you. He's working on your behalf. When you can't see him, he's working on your behalf. I feel a little resistance in the spirit world, so I'm just going to keep right here. Just going to, because I got to break through that, that, that big veil of doubt and skepticism he's going to work on your behalf when you don't see him he's working on your behalf he's healing you in ways you can't even realize how much he's healing you he brought you to this place you think that you came by yourself but the Lord brought you here he drew you in this house He picked you up out of that miry clay. All that junk, he picked you up. He brought you in. He set you up. He gave you his word. He gave you his name. He offered you his spirit. You received it and accepted it and you spoke it out. Your your body and your soul has been filled with it. You were buried in his precious name and you your sins are now remitted and the Lord has given you great authority and power. But in the middle of everything, you're going to have all these things happen to you that don't 
be destroyed. God's still with you. He began something great. He's going to carry you all the way. Now, enemy, wherever you are and wherever you're speaking, I want to speak to the voice of the enemy today. You have no authority here. Satan, you are a liar and the father of all lies. You want to discourage the saints of God. Because they're seeing the temporal conflict of their day. But I stand up right now in the name of Jesus, I pray against every doubting spirit. I know this is hard for some of you to compute, but your eyes are deceiving you. Because you walk by faith and not by sight. If you're walking by sight, you're going to get discouraged and down and bewildered. But you're not walking by sight, you're walking by faith. And your faith may be on trial today, but I would just want to say, just plant your feet and just say this is my house this is my place this is where I'm going to be nothing's going to move me nothing's going to shake me nothing's going to dissuade me and I knew how I know how I began I began with revelation of the mighty God in Christ I began at an altar of repentance I began with water baptism I began with the Holy Ghost I began with joy I'm not going to let the middle confuse me because he is the author and the finisher and what he began he is faithful to complete the good work in me. He is faithful. Out of your mouth you ought to describe it to God. I know you are faithful to complete the good work in me. What you began, you're going to finish. What you started, you're going to complete. (laughs) Yes, I can't do it for you, but you can do it for yourself. I can't speak it from your heart, but you can say it from your heart. I thank you, Lord, for completing the good work in me. I thank you, Lord, for how I began. I began with a dream. You are faithful to complete it. You are faithful. You are faithful. You are faithful. You are faithful. Come on, someone ought to be... Here's your prayer. You're faithful. It's really a praise. You are faithful, Lord. I want to write you a letter today. You are faithful, Lord, and you are good. And your mercy endures forever. And you lifted me up and you gave me strength, Lord. Somebody needs to recall the day that you were first filled with his spirit. And just thank God for it. I'm going to sweep away all those thoughts, all those, all those doubts. No, God, God's, God's in control. No, 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 no. God's in control. The Lord sits on his mighty throne. God is faithful to complete it. If you know that God started it, you ought to thank God that he's going to complete it right now. If you know that the Lord gave it. I need someone just to lift up their hands on behalf of their loved ones. That you know God needs to complete something. And just lift up your hearts and speak out of your mouth. Their names and the situation and just thank God that he is the God of completion and he is a finishing God.
He's going to finish something today. Hallelujah. singing into your spirit. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. 